Everybody, welcome to episode 170 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to continue my run through season two of Superboy with episodes three and four. We're going to uh, lead off uh, by diving into the comic book mythology, and we're going to see how this show introduces the Superman villain Metallo. And then in episode four, we're going to uh, go supernatural. Uh, this episode is going to introduce vampires into. The show's mythology with young Dracula. But before we get to those two episodes, I have feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 159, in which I talked about the alien solution and troubled waters. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. First, I'm glad to hear feedback from other listeners with Mike Peacock's email on the podcast review by Indahu. I like hearing other people's reactions to the show, and I don't want to feel that I'm monopolizing the discussion with my feedback. I always hope to hear other feedback on your episodes. The Alien Solution really does feel like a comic book story, although one from the Silver or Bronze Ages, since at the time the show aired, the character of Superboy had essentially been erased from comic book continuity. Like you, when Superboy put the tank containing the alien into the freezer, I immediately thought, well, there's obviously going to be a sequel to this episode. Troubled Waters was not an exceptional episode, I thought, but it was elevated slightly by the twist that the valuable substance under the farmland is water, which Superboy initially disregards because it's not what Pa Kent su- suggested that he might find. I'm a bit surprised that farmers did not know there was an underground river beneath their farms, since water is so important to farming, and many farms have wells to provide water. You'd think they'd noticed this river down there a long time ago. I also had some hope that the Ellen Jensen character would have been developed, at least through the first season, as an alternative love interest for Clark. Of course, even though they haven't yet been fully developed, it was good to see Ma and Pa Kent on the farm. Even though having the kids alive while Clark is in college confuses my Silver Age mind, I always love to see them. I am looking forward to hearing you cap off the Ruby Spear Superman series, and I'm hoping to hear more listener feedback. Live long and prosper, Dave. Uh, so, uh, listeners, the uh, challenge has been thrown down by Dave McElvenny. He wants to hear some more feedback, and I want to hear some more feedback, too. You can leave that for me at manofscreen at, at gmail.com. And Dave mentions uh, the Apple Podcast review from IndieWho, that, to date, was the last review that I have received, so any of you who want to leave me an Apple Podcast review, I would greatly appreciate it. So, into uh, Dave's letter. Dave didn't really have a ton to add about the alien solution. Maybe Dave will write a little bit more about the Revenge of the Alien storyline, the two-parter, which was, in fact, the sequel to the alien solution. As of this recording, on June 22nd, that episode has not been posted yet. And... Yeah, Trouble Waters was not an exceptional episode. Honestly, neither of these two episodes were exceptional. At least I didn't think so. Yeah, I mean, I talked about you know, the commodity that water is. And you would think that the, all these farmers would know that there was such an underground river underneath their farms. But, you know, Pa Kent was, uh, pa Kent was postulating that it was uranium or something. Probably because of the amount of money that... I forgot the guy's name, was looking to pay for their land. I mean, he was offering to, you know, get loans paid off, and 
it just seemed as though maybe there was something more valuable under there than just water. I don't really know. But yes, it is good to uh, to see Mom and Pa Kent on the farm. Yeah, the Ellen Jensen character was kind of wasted in this episode. It's like she came out of nowhere and as kind of somebody, honestly, the way that relationship was portrayed, I would have pegged Clark and Ellen a couple. And, you know, Clark just doesn't go around kissing everybody. But I don't know. I would have liked to have heard a little bit more about her before or since. Had this show been made today, she would have had some kind of storyline. Just She was too close to Clark to just be a throwaway character, and they did just that. They threw her away. I don't know if the actress was unavailable. I don't know if anybody gave this character a second thought beyond this episode. You know, not a lot of continuing stories in these shows, so the only stories that seem to really continue are the ones written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer, one of which I'm going to uh, get to in the next segment. They wrote Metallo, and... It calls back to several season one episodes. So I guess that's it. And I'm kind of rambling. So I really don't have anything else on Dave's letter. But if you want to get in on the feedback as Dave requests, I'm not the only one asking here. You can send that in manascreen at gmail.com or you can leave me a review on over on Apple podcast. But for now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. And when I come back, Metallo, hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Gary. Plain, simple, Gary. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. It's what you to become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfish, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to start this episode off with Metallo. Original broadcast date was October 21st, 1989. This episode was directed by David Grossman, and it was written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast included Michael Callan as John Corbin, Metallo, Paul Brown as Schwartz, Dave Fennell as the mayor, and... Kurt Smilson as the doctor. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A man with a bad heart condition waits outside a bank, preparing to make a hit. Lana, Andy, and Clark talk outside. All right, now I gotta give 50 bucks to the print shop. Andy? And you gotta remind me to give 25 to the graphic artist. Andy? I told you, I don't think Superboy is gonna want to endorse a line of t shirts. Okay. First of all, these are not just a line of t-shirts. These glow in the dark. And since when did you become Superboy's agent? Well, I, I kind of know Superboy, and, and I sort of have a feeling for things he might or might not want to do. Sort of. Clark, I can't think of two people more opposite than you and Superboy. Andy's got a point. Maybe Superboy should at least listen to what he's got to say. Hey, I know I wouldn't mind having a Superboy t-shirt. And Clark, you know, you wouldn't look too bad in one yourself. 
Better than these plaid shirts you wear. I kind of like this shirt. Clark, that's the problem. The man makes his move, assaulting an armed courier and making off with the money. Clark sneaks away and turns into Superboy. After he stops the man, he has a severe heart attack and passes out. The man, known as Corbin, wakes up in a hospital to hear that Superboy saved him. You're a very lucky man, Mr. Corbin. Not for Superboy, you wouldn't be here today. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, Doc. If not for him, I'd be out free, just spending the first Nationals dough and living like there was no tomorrow. There would have been no tomorrow for you, Mr. Corbin. Look, you suffered a massive heart attack. You wouldn't have lasted the night. Hey, look on the bright side. They'll keep you off your feet in prison. You'll get plenty of rest and a little bit of luck. You just might live. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'd be alive. I'd be in the cage for the rest of my life. But uh, face it, Doc, I might as well be dead. Please, Mr. Corbin. Please. No one's ever been that polite to me. I wish I could return the favor. I'm not that kind of guy. Fearing that he'll spend the rest of his life in prison after recovering, he kills the doctor and escapes from the hospital. While driving, he suffers another heart attack and hits a tree exploding the car. At the Schuster dorms, Clark is researching a story on Corbin. While Lana and Andy prepare to go out, Clark is supposed to go along, but he opts to finish his research for the Herald. Elsewhere, in what appears to be a secret lab, Corbin wakes up to discover that he's part man, part robot. A very lucky man, Herr Metallo. Why, Metallo? Yeah. What are you talking about? My name is, is Corbin. Yeah. Who the hell are you? <laughs> oh, my God. Is that me? <laughs> oh, please, no need to thank me. You were badly hurt in the explosion. Your arms, your heart were destroyed. I only did what I had to do to save you. Save me? Uh, you made me into a freak! Look at me! Oh, oh, you are still me. Yeah. Oh, I suspected as much. I've done similar experiments upon small animals, and always the strain of trying to power my prosthetics kills them. Oh, but luckily for you, I have made a breakthrough. I found this strange gem in one of my field trips. Really strong. 
This is the Wunderbar. I am a genius. Now, we will show the university. You and I, my colleagues, they will never laugh at me again. Come, Metallo, we must prepare. <laughs> How do you feel about the big award? I'm really honored the city has chosen me to be the first to receive the Community Service Award. Thank you, Superboy. What's wrong? Am I strong enough? Can I beat him? Who? 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 The one who started just Superboy. I don't know. Perhaps. No time. He'll be at the arena soon. I already died once. I'll take my chances. At the ceremony, Lana and Andy seat themselves, and a moment later, Superboy makes his entrance to accept his award. He's not even two full sentences into his speech when he hears a commotion backstage. When he goes to see about it, Corbin crashes through the back door. Calling himself Metallo, he challenges Superboy when he attempts to bring him to justice for his crimes. As Superboy tries to take him, the kryptonite begins to take effect and weakens him, and he stumbles away. Metallo is out living the big time, and to show off for some girls, he rips off some bullion from an armored truck. Back at Schuster, Clark is upset when defending Superboy. And it seemed like such a great idea at the time. Andy, people are still going to want to buy your t-shirts. I don't know. Everybody's talking about how humiliated Superboy was at the awards. I mean, it was embarrassing. It's a good thing you weren't there, Clark. It was a dark day. I'm sure Superboy must have some sort of plan. He's not just going to lay low and let Metallo get away with, with all these robberies. Why does everyone think that Superboy is just going to give up? Oh, Mr. Sensitive. I'll tell you what, we're just going to leave you alone for a while, okay? The strange green substance seems to have a similar molecular structure of a planet that astronomers have named Krypton. Prolonged exposure to the space rock that I will call kryptonite can be lethal to Superboy. Lead shielding seems to neutralize the effect. At his place, Metallo entertains his girls. Then, using his super voice, Superboy calls out to Metallo. Metallo! It's him. Metallo! It's Superboy. It's, it's time, Metallo! Time, time to prove yourself! Where the hell is he? I'll be I'll at this scrapyard in 30 minutes! minutes. Then, then you can prove to the world how strong you really are! You better be there, Tin Man! Unless there isn't enough man left inside of you to beat my challenge! I'll be there, creep! Over your dead body! At the junkyard, Metallo pulls up in his limo. Superboy walks out wearing a lead suit that he welded together. As they begin to fight, Metallo knocks the helmet off Superboy, and the kryptonite begins to weaken him. When Superboy refuses to give up, Metallo unleashes the kryptonite's lethal radiation at full power. Superboy musters up his strength and grabs the rock, sealing it inside the glove of his lead suit. Metallo, without his energy source, collapses. And now that it's safe, Lana comes over to hug Superboy in relief. Superboy, I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah, hey, me too. While I got you here without that Clark Kent, you know, he throws such a damper on everything. Um, I thought we might have this little two-minute powwow on this business proposition that I was thinking of. This isn't about your t-shirts, is it? Now, obviously, the characters of Clark Kent and Lana Lang are from the comics, as are the characters of Ma and Pa Kent. And really, the only other comics characters we saw in the first season were 
the recurring villain of Lex Luthor, who was originally played by Scott Wells, and we've now moved on to Sherman Howard. And we also saw Mr. Mixias Pitalik. That was pretty much it, at least that I can remember from thinking back. But now, this episode is going to bring us into another major Superman villain, Metallo. Well, at least he's major to me. Part of the reason why I think Superman is such a better TV character than movie character sometimes is because he really only has a handful of villains that I really believe can carry a film. I mean, I could see putting Metallo in a film, but he'd have to be almost subservient to somebody else, like a tool, basically. Something Superman would have to fight. But you know what? When you've got an episode of a show, you know, 30 minutes or in some cases an hour, you have time for these villains that may not necessarily be able to carry a feature film, but they can carry an episode because it's not nearly as much heavy lifting. And this episode gives us a pretty decent introduction to Metallo. And it is quite possible that most of the viewers really don't know who he is. This is his first time, I believe, out side of the comics i don't necessarily know if he appeared in any of the animated stuff i'm not remembering anything we start off with a guy smoking in his car he looks very nervous about something you know he's got the gun so we know that he's up to no good you know anytime you want to show that somebody's up to no good in one of these episodes give that man a gun and he's very nervous he's like i said he's smoking and fiddling with the gun dropping a cigarette and then you know, kind of looks as though he's having a heart attack and at some point during all of this uh this armored truck shows up, so I'm guessing that's what he was uh, here looking to rob. I mean, obviously, he's cased this place out. He knows when the armored truck hits. You know, I don't know about now, but does anybody knock over an armored truck anymore? So while it's hard to give him giving him trouble, he pops a pill, and now he's set to go. And, of course, our main trio is here. Andy, Lana, and Clark are walking out of what appears to be a bank. It must be the uh, Schuster University. Well, no, I don't even... They haven't announced the name of the city that they're in. They just... We just know that it's Florida, but apparently Andy is trying to get some uh, financing for his Superboy glow-in-the-dark t-shirts, and Clark is very hesitant about this, you know, saying the Superboy wouldn't like it, which this kind of reminds me of the comment Clark makes in Superman the movie, where he says Superman wouldn't lend himself to a cheap emotional stunt, and eventually they just kind of move on from Clark's concerns by uh, taking a crap on Clark's wardrobe, you know, all the plaid that he likes to wear. So here comes that criminal, and uh, I'm just gonna flat out identify him for you it's corbin he's not identified later until the hospital scene and he's coming out he doesn't look very confident his heart is still bugging him despite the pill that he just popped and you know even before he knocks over this truck he does not look like he's gonna make it i mean i don't know if it were me and i am not go gonna be going out committing crimes anytime soon but i'm pretty sure that if my heart were acting up i wouldn't uh, try to knock over the armored truck but he does have enough energy to uh, pistol whip the driver into unconsciousness, but he's not quiet enough to escape Clark's notice because, you know, super hearing. And, uh, well, here we go. He's going to change into Superboy in what is a pretty nice change. And I had to watch this one a couple of times just to uh, figure out what happened here because I knew there was no way all of this happened in one shot. I mean, it's a very well-composed shot. Kudos to the uh, director, David Grossman, for pulling this off. Clark goes in through the doors to the bank or whatever this is, and he comes out as Superboy. What makes this pretty cool is that you see Gerard Christopher's face, both as Clark and as Superboy, giving you the illusion that this is one continuous shot. It isn't. And I had to watch it a couple times to uh, pick out the trick. You see Clark's face. He goes into the, uh, into the doors, and the camera is giving this intention of following Superboy's trail on the inside. 
And just as this is happening, somebody walks in front of the camera, and that is what is used to hide the cut and merge the two shots into one. There's just no way that Gerard Christopher was uh, changing his clothes that quickly. But, you know, very, very well done. I really enjoyed how that was executed. Like I said, it took me a couple of times to uh, watch just to make sure that because it, it would have been very easy to just cut to the back of Clark's head running in into the doors, which could have easily been Gerard Christopher's stunt double and then having Gerard Christopher come out of Superboy. But I liked the way they did this using Gerard Christopher for both. There are things you can do to simulate superpowers that don't always require a special effect. All this required was clever editing. So Superboy stops the robber, and he makes a line about his luck running out. And just as he does that, Corbin goes unconscious. So, yeah, his luck did run out. So what we find out is that Corbin had a massive heart attack, which was pretty obvious just from the acting. And this doctor is telling them that he might live. Well, ordinarily, that's good news. But I guess not if you're going to prison for armed robbery. So in what is possibly a much more graphic killing than I've come to expect from this show, I mean... Corbin slits the doctor's throat with a scalpel. You know, he looks at the scalpel, then he you clearly see him stab the doctor. And there's some blood splatter, too, which very surprising that they showed that as graphically as they did, especially on 1989 syndicated television. And honestly, it was probably very irresponsible for uh, the doctor to just leave out the uh, scalpels where, Cor- where Corbin can reach him. So there's that. But it doesn't help Corbin much because he leaves and has another heart attack. Hit the tree and his car explodes. So, you know what? That's kind of the end to him. At least that's kind of what the episode is letting, leading us to believe. And now Clark has a story. It's taking him two days to write a story about Corbin being dead. Oh, geez, these college journalists need to uh, work a little faster. And uh, Clark is working on a computer. He is working in his dorm room. An early journalist working from home. Even when I didn't have to work at home during a global pandemic, I would do, even though I've always been on staff of newspapers, especially when I was a writer, I would do a lot of work at home. I never saw any uh, purpose after a night event to uh, go to the office by myself where I could just easily write it at home by myself and submit it that way. I don't know why it's taking Clark two days to write this. Uh, it's a pretty much cut and dried story. He's dead. They can't find the body. Finish the story and move on. It's it's not a major investigative piece. So Clark is feeling bad about Corbin being dead. and. Uh, they're all dressed up uh, going to uh, the ceremony that honors Superboy, and uh, Clark doesn't want to go because he says because he's still working on the story, and stupid me watching this, I bought it. I don't know if there was dialogue in there beforehand telling us that they were going to the ceremony honoring Superboy, but I missed it. And uh, Andy is hitting on Lana and Clark, and, you know, I wanted to tell Clark that it's okay to go wherever it is they're going. The story can wait, but you know what? He didn't stay behind for the story. He, uh... He has to be there as Superboy. So they mentioned the body was missing, and uh, all of a sudden we find it. It is in this basement as Corbin wakes up. He wakes up in this presence of this unnamed scientist, and he is, uh, maybe he's the character named Schwartz. I don't know, but, well, either way, uh, Corbin sees his uh, rototic implant and is horrified. And this, you know, kind of a mad scientist. It's not really the Emmett Vale type that we'll eventually see in Lois and Clark, or that John Byrne used in the Man of Steel miniseries. The first appearance of Metalla way back when in the Silver Age, without looking it up, I don't know if that was Emmett Vale too. It could have been. I don't know. I don't want to commit to saying that it wasn't if it could end up having been so. So the scientist has found what he calls a strange gem. As we know, it's kryptonite, the piece that was lost in the kryptonite kills episode from season one. So here is Metallo, the man with the kryptonite heart. 
and that kryptonite made him feel, in his words, pretty okay. And he looks pretty good, too, until, you know, you actually see him walking around. Not really much of a robotic suit. It's more like he's wearing a vest. You know, kind of a pudgy guy with a big vest on him, you know. 1989 low-budget technology can only do what 1989 low-budget technology can do. So as this is going on, the TV sh- comes on, and Corbin sees Superboy receiving some kind of honor. And, well, he wants to destroy Superboy, and he breaks the scientist's neck and hangs him on a hook and leaves. Well, I guess that, I guess that's one way to tie up loose ends. So, Lana and Andy are at this uh, ceremony honoring Superboy. Lana laments that she couldn't get Clark to come out, but, of course, he needs to go as Superboy, so... At this point, we learn in the episode, and again, we might have even learned it before. Sometimes when I'm typing my notes, I miss dialogue, but I don't think I missed any note, either of them saying that they were going to Superboy ceremony. But, of course, Clark needed to go with Superboy, so the Corbin story thing for him was just an excuse. But now, as he comes flying into the arena, we get a great shot of him landing in front of the American flag. I believe that's uh, the shot that will be used in the opening sequence for seasons three and four, as the words... uh, and the desire to help all mankind, or as the narration says that, they show a clip of Superboy landing in front of a flag. That's got to be the, the clip they used. So Superboy's speech is interrupted by Metallo, and there's some banter between the two. And upon exposure to Metallo and his kryptonite heart, Superboy goes down. And this is the first time the kryptonite makes Superboy turn green. That's something that's going to continue throughout the rest of the run of the show. The live-action shows don't really do this enough, if you ask me. Lois and Clark didn't do it at all. Smallville and Supergirl kind of show their veins turning green. I don't remember what Superman Returns did, nor do I remember exactly what Batman v Superman did when he was exposed to Kryptonite. I know what we showed that he was weakened, but it didn't show the uh, old Silver Age, uh, Silver Bronze Age green face that we're getting here, and I like this effect. Very Silver and Bronze Age. So Kalen is hamming it up as Metallo. Uh, making the announcement that Corbin is dead and he is Metallo. You know, ever since uh, I'm Batman and you can call me Joker from Batman 89, everybody's got to introduce themselves now. So Corbin is now uh, living it up with these two groupies of his when he sees another armored truck. He's bulletproof and super strong and tears the doors of this truck and takes the bars of gold. He gave one to each of the women, and but it doesn't show what he did with the rest of it. And... Honestly, these uh, somebody should have told these women that gold is pretty heavy. These ladies showed no indication that these gold bars had any kind of weight to them. For those of you who have seen the Superman episode, The Face and the Voice, it was uh, from the second season of the George Reeves show, when Boulder and the boss are moving uh, gold bullion off an armored truck. The episode goes to great lengths to show that they're having trouble moving this stuff. It's heavy. And these women should be having at least a little bit of trouble with this stuff. They shouldn't be just throwing it around here like they are. So, back at the dorms, Andy is bummed because no one will buy his Superboy t-shirts now because Superboy got his butt kicked by Metallo. Uh, a similar angle kind of played on the Metallo episode of Lois and Clark, but not to the extent that it does here. Clark uh, gives an attitude wondering why everyone thinks Superboy is going to give up, and uh, that drives Andy away from and Lana out of the room because they don't want to be around Clark in his bad mood. And I'm pretty sure that's what Clark wanted because he's reading uh, Professor Peterson's journal, Apparently, he's done some research on kryptonite, and this is where kryptonite is going to be named on the show. Remember, I said in the previous kryptonite episode that I would keep track of uh, whether or not this show ever used the word kryptonite? Well, here it is. The word kryptonite is introduced in this episode. According to Peterson's notes, 
The kryptonite has a similar in structure to a planet astronomers called Krypton, and he named it kryptonite. Okay, so like I said, that frees up the name for us. Now the name can be used in the show. It has an official name. However, Peterson's research goes on to say that kryptonite is lethal to Superboy and says that lead can block the rays. Fine, that's all well and good. We all know these things from previous shows and all the comics we've read over the years. But we're not going to wonder why this is lethal to Superboy and it's not lethal to anybody else on the show. Superboy, while he knows he's from another planet, which is contradictory to the ep- to the final episode of the series when the rite of passage, when he runs into this uh, holograph of a man from Krypton, it could be Jarrell, it could not be. But he kind of questions that, you know where I'm from? I'm from another world. But here it's pretty clear that he knows he's from another world, but he does not know where he's from. He This is the first mention of Krypton on this show. I don't know if there's going to be any other mentions of Krypton. I know we're going to see some, in a, at the very least, in the episode called Metamorphosis. We're going to see a Jarrell and Lara representation that is meant to remind us of Marlon Brando and Susanna York without actually being them. But again, I don't understand why Professor Peterson would postulate that it's similar in structure to Krypton and not wonder if Superboy could be from there. So I could probably rant about that forever, so I'm just going to move on. It is strange to have Kryptonite and Krypton, but not tell Superboy where he's from. But we're going to act the reality we're going to have to live with, I guess. So now uh, Metallo is in his uh, hotel room with his groupies, and uh, Superboy calls him out rather publicly. You know, he's projecting his voice so the buildings shake, and the whole city hears it. So Superboy is going to regain his good name by uh, staging a rematch in the junkyard with Metallo. If... Superboy was really about showing up his uh, prowess against Metallo. He would have let Metallo pick the battlefield, but so he would have to adapt. But, you know, you could, you could figure, you know, Superboy picking the battlefield, he could set up traps and whatnot. But you're going to see what he sets up as Superboy tries to regain his good name. And Andy tries to get into the fight. And apparently Superboy warned them about Andy because as soon as he introduces himself, he tries to schmooze his way in saying, I'm Andy McCallister. I'm a friend of Superboy. And well, that guy's like, oh, yeah, we were warned about you. And Anthony and Lana are pushed further away. So here we are at the junkyard for the big fight. Very Superman 3. So here is Superboy in a very ugly-looking lead suit. <laughs> you could tell he just cobbled it together. The only thing, part of his body that's exposed are his eyes. Let's just say the spacesuit from Superman the Animated Series is a lot more elegant, even though it's weird seeing Superman in a spacesuit. But, like I said, there's a hole in the suit by his eyes, and you'd think that would be enough to expose Superboy, so... We're going to get a fair fight, and then Superboy's helmet is knocked off right off, and he's going green, and not in a good way, and he is stripped of his crappy armor pretty quickly, and Metallo is kicking his ass. But the armor is still on Superboy's arm, so there's a little bit of it left, and he uses it to grab the kryptonite out of Metallo's chest and burns it with his heat vision. So, I thought Gerard Christopher did a pretty good job selling how painful that would be for Superboy, and then Metallo is down for the count again. Superboy wins, you know, very quickly, and now all is good. Andy's business can thrive again. So now Andy tries to sell Superboy on his t-shirt as the episode kind of comes to a close. We finally see his t-shirt for the first time. It's a glow-in-the-dark uh, red and yellow version of the of the uh, promotional design of the S from Superman the movie. It's not the Christopher Reeve S, it's the one on the poster, the, the silver one. This version is colored. And it's, since it's a glow-in-the-dark S, most of the glow-in-the-dark shirts that I have glowed green a little bit. I'm sure if Superboy saw that, he probably wouldn't think it's very funny. So, this episode starts the introduction of comics-related concepts, and Metallo is one of Superman's oldest villains, and it's nice to see him represented here. And we'll see more of him down the line, so I'm looking forward to that. 
he'll recur over the next three seasons. So, that being said, we have a pretty good episode in the books there, and now I'm going to take another podcast promo break, and I'm going to come back with Young Dracula. Hang around, folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this off with Young Dracula, episode four of season two. Original broadcast date, October 28th, 1989. It was directed by David Nutter. It was written by Carrie Bates and Ilya Salkind. Salkind and Bates came up with the story. Bates wrote the teleplay. Our guest cast includes Kevin Bernhardt as Dr. Byron Shelley, Lloyd Bachner as the old vampire, and Dennis Neal as the doctor. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Two men are waiting outside a store preparing to rob it. Lana comes out of the store and comes across a mysterious young man who's going inside. While he's inside the store, the, the men attempt to rob it. The store's owner is assaulted. The man of mystery walks over and, using mind control, forces them both to injure themselves. While the store owner phones the police, the mystery man erases his memory. He then leaves, and the store mirror shows a non-existent reflection. In town, Clark and Andy are walking down the street when a steel beam being lifted by a crane snaps loose. Clark pushes Andy out of the way and takes the hit. Clark is rushed to the hospital. In the exam room... I, um, just wanted to tell you, um, well... What is it, Andy? Uh, so, there I was today, just walking along about my shirt and before I knew it you were saving my life I guess what I'm trying to say here is uh, you know thanks Mr. Kent I am Dr. Shelley Dr. Johnson said I'm supposed to have a look at you before we send you home Amazing. It's like I've been telling everybody, I- I'm fine, and the girder barely grazed me. So it appears, but sometimes appearances can be deceiving. Do you hold these, please, and hop up here? Lie back. But, but what, are you, what are you doing? But, but, this is a cat scan. But, but. Just to make sure there are no surprises hidden under that resilient scalp of yours. Clark, don't be embarrassed. Naked brains, they, they must all look alike. Keep your head very still, please. 
odd we seem to have a dead screen here. Um, those things happen sometimes. Thank God. I thought you might be in a coma or something. Is, uh, this guy tough or what? We meet again. Byron Shelley, I'm a visiting resident here. Lana Lang, I'm a friend. I can see that. She's my friend, too. I'd like you to make an appointment for another x-ray, just to be safe. Okay, doctor, I'll do that. Thanks very much, Dr. Shelley. Come on, Lana, let's go. Goodbye, Dr. Shelley. Byron, take care. Later, as Byron is leaving for the night, Clark sneaks back into the exam room to mend the cable on the machine. Meanwhile, Lana is in the hospital parking lot looking for Byron. A voice calls to her, and she follows it, only to discover that it's not Byron, but an older vampire. Lana screams when he gets ready to bite her, and Clark changes to Superboy, when his super hearing picks it up. Byron tries to run the vampire down in his car, but he gets back up and flips the car over. Superboy arrives as they fight, and the older vampire disappears. Superboy throws Byron against his car after he lunges at him, and then takes him to his apartment. Speaking of things, Dr. Shelley, you're unlike any human being I've ever seen. There's something flowing through you. Some strange energy force that defies the laws of science. What if I were to tell you that this energy force prevents me from living a normal life? Or dying a mortal death? I'm listening. That creature who accosted Lana, that was one of my kind. One of your kind? Yes. A lot stronger than me, and older, but yes. And we may not be safe here. Well, we got Superboy to protect us. You don't know what we're up against. Follow me, please. Fortunately, I have a few powers of my own with which to demonstrate. How did you do that? I'm a vampire, not a magician. Fear is the usual reaction I get when people see proof of the supernatural. It's the same for me when people find out I'm from another planet. You're sort of like kindred spirits. Sadly enough, one side of me is not at all like Superboy or anyone else alive. As you grow older, Superboy, you will find there are forces on the dark side that not even your powers can withstand. Yes, I know. Supernatural forces seem to be one of the few things that can harm me. You'd never believe how much practice that took. Or how many injections. My mother was just one of his many victims. He used his forces to make her carry his child. She hated him. But she loved me from the very day that I was born. So she took me far away from him. Growing up, I thought that I was normal. She knew different. She knew it was only a matter of time before the curse of my bloodline caught up with me. So she instilled me with the courage to fight back, to reject my father's ways. That's why I went into medicine. 
All those years of hard work finally paid off. I came up with this. The chemicals in that solution could be fatal. Not to me. A daily injection of my serum enables me to make my reflection appear. Resist my craving for blood. And endure the sunlight. Mortal enemy of all vampires. You've made a lot of progress. Well, not enough. History says vampirism is a curse. I say it's a disease. The oldest and most dreadful affliction known to man. But it is controllable. And one day, maybe even curable. When that day comes, my father will understand why I rebelled. And the others, they will finally know that I am their salvation, not their enemy. They don't share your desire to be cured. Most of these creatures are hopeless addicts who've been stalking their prey for centuries. The old one in the garage, he was there for me. But when Lana came along, his bloodlust took control. Nothing else matters. Meanwhile, the older vampire sneaks into the apartment building, enters Byron's apartment, and bites him, putting him out. But not before warning Superboy to use pain. Through mind control, the senior vampire plans to use Superboy's heat vision to destroy any evidence of, Bry of Byron's work. Remembering Byron's warnings to use pain, Superboy uses his heat vision to burn himself, breaking the vampire's spell. They begin to fight, and then Superboy defeats him by flying the vampire to outer space to expose him to the sun. The next day... Community. Science marches on. <laughs> Schuster kind of grows on you. You sure you won't change your mind? No, I have to stay on the move. You've destroyed one of them, but my father will send others. You don't know him. Maybe we should keep it that way. Well, perhaps one day you and I may meet again. Who can say? Can't you? That's right. You're a vampire, not a fortune teller. Goodbye, my friend. So long, Byron. Good luck. Now, this episode is going to introduce vampires to uh, the mythology of this show, and this is not the last time we're going to see supernatural stuff on this show. In one of the later seasons, three or four, there's a werewolf episode, and once they go to the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters, there's going to be lots of uh, strange stuff, so this series will not be afraid to lean into the supernatural. So, here's Lana at this country store, and she's about to get accosted by these two guys with guns. Like, that's what I thought. Usually, you know, you see Lana and two guys with guns. <laughs> Normally, they're after her, but I'm happy to report that I was wrong. And then, uh, and right after she leaves the floor, she drops something, and we see uh, this uh, 80s-looking guy in a nice shirt. He's admiring her sunscreen, and uh, she, she says he needs something stronger. Maybe he doesn't want to get her a sunburn, or maybe he is our young Dracula, as the episode title tells us we're going to have one. Like I said, I was I was expecting these two guys to go after Lana, but they're going to hold up this country store instead. So the guy who hit on Lana is trying to use an old Jedi mind trick on the gunman, and he gets him to drop the gun. Vampires have the ability, I don't know if it's the ability to plant a suggestion, or if it's straight out mind control, but either way, he gets the uh, first gunman to lower his weapon. And then uh, the other, his accomplice comes in and tries to shoot him, but he's also bulletproof as he caught the bullets in his hand. So... He's strong. He tells the first guy 
to show how sorry he is. And basically what the uh, criminal does is he just dives onto a table full of cakes and breaks the table and just lays there. And he leaves uh, with the two stick-up men banging their heads on the floor. But before he leaves, there is one last bit of mind control. He tells the owner that he was never there. Very spooky. And another clue as to uh, what this guy is is that he shows no reflection in the mirror. So there's that. Now we're going to see Clark and Andy on the street here. And uh, I don't like Andy's hot pink tank top nearly as much as he does. Let's just leave that at that. So now, because we need some extra contrived drama, Gerda's going to fall on Clark and he pretends to be knocked out. He bangs him on the head and uh, he very comically goes to the growling. Like, bing, and down he goes. You know, if this thing hit anybody else in the head, it probably would have killed them. And, you know, Clark is fine. Now, here's my problem with this episode. Clark had enough time to yell to Andy to get out of the way. He could have tackled Andy to the ground and probably turned his body so Andy landed on him, preventing Andy from any injury without having to go through all of these theatrics. Still, girders are heavy. If Clark were a normal human being, that thing would have crushed his head. So for Clark to be completely uninjured here, it's pushing the act a little bit too far because Clark is fine. He says it just grazed him when, you know what, anybody who was there could tell that it gave him a pretty good whack. The poor Gerda probably has a dent on it because, you know, Clark can only roll with the punch so much. So now we're in the hospital. Uh, Clark's about to get a CAT scan, and uh, Andy is having a really hard time telling Clark, thank you. For Christ's sake, the guy just saved his life. You know, it's going to be a little bit easier to spit out a thank you. But it doesn't seem as though Andy has ever thanked anybody for anything in his life. Too busy trying to uh, be a con artist. So, our man from earlier comes in. His name is Dr. Shelley. Most definitely a nod to Mary Shelley, who, as far as I know, is best known for writing Frankenstein. I don't know if she's done any vampire-related work, but I could be wrong about. Clark keeps telling people that he's fine and he doesn't want to go for a CAT scan. He probably doesn't really know what a CAT scan would show of him. It would probably show the technicians that his brain is somewhat different than humans, and that is definitely not a headache Clark needs. This uh, bad acting with the girder is bad enough headache. Again, he could have just saved himself and us a whole load of trouble if he just dove out of the way. But then if he, if he didn't do that, we wouldn't get Lana meeting up with uh, Dr. Shelley in the hospital here. So Clark sabotages, or sabotage, he uh, sabotages the uh, CAT scan machine by burning the wire, and uh, Lana just walks in on a CAT scan as if she belongs there, which would not happen in an ordinary hospital. I dated a woman about it last year who is a radiology technician at a local hospital. No, she told me a little bit about what goes on, but no, people just don't walk into the CAT scan or the MRI room. So now Lana is going to meet Dr. Shelley, and she recognizes him as the man from her uh, visit to the country store, and now she's clearly smitten. She was smitten before, and now she's uh, smitten again. Of course, because we need these uh, coincidences to move the plot forward. So she introduces herself as Clark's friend. Andy needs to announce that he's Lana's friend too, because... Andy is going to have an unrequited crush on Lana for the entire season. Although, I will say this, Lana will flirt back with him, so she's definitely sending mixed signals. And when they're trying to leave, Clark is the first one to say, come on, Lana, we gotta go back. And Lana's not coming. She wants to hang with Dr. Shelley. You know, why not? You know, nice-looking 80s guy. Probably a little bit older than, than her, probably like 25-ish. At least that's what he looks. But instead of Clark, it's Andy who drags her away from Dr. Shelley. Andy uh, with the jealousy. Now, after a full season of John Hames Newton's kind of playing Clark as a normal guy, it's getting a little hard to adjust to Gerard Christopher's nerdy Clark Kent. And to be honest, I'm, I don't know how long this is going to go on. I don't recall it going on terribly into season three. I, I'm kind of getting bored with it now. 
So I hope, you know, as Gerard Christopher gets a little more comfortable in the role, they tone down the uh, the nerdy Clark stuff. He's great at Superboy, but his Clark is leaving me a little cold at the moment. And now we get a very wonderful Superboy who sneaks back into the Cascade room to fix the wire that he destroyed. So good for him. So Lana calls out to Byron, which is Dr. Shelley's first name. I did not catch that immediately. His uh, name is Byron Shelley. His first name is probably a reference to Lord Byron. And uh, one of history's uh, best regarded uh, romantic poets, I believe. I don't know if he's done any horror work either, but Lord Byron is a famous uh, literary name. So now we have an old man show up dressed as Dracula and Lana screams. Because, of course she does. What else would you do when a vampire shows up? So both Dr. Shelley and Clark hear it. And now contact with the older vampire is bringing out the the vampire and uh, Dr. Shelley here. And these guys are clearly not friends. I do believe that we find out that this is going to be Byron's father. And uh, what we don't know at this point is why the vampire is looking for Dr. Shelley. And uh, then a Superboy is going to show up and uh, all is going to be revealed. Shelley is vamping up and fighting Superboy. And again, we still don't really know what's going on here. And uh, Superboy says Shelly is like nothing he's ever seen, but he brought him home by finding the dress on his paycheck. So there was a little bit of a fight in that garage, and you know, it wasn't great. There's a lot of, a lot of you guys holding each other and throwing each other around. So now we're going to get a very long scene of exposition. To be honest, this is where the episode kind of lost me a little bit. Haley and I just recently watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that probably has one of the best expositional scenes in the history of movies. That scene where... Uh, Indiana Jones lectures these two guys from the government on the Lost Ark. Could have been boring as hell, but the acting makes it work. The acting does not make this long exposition work. This is where we learn that vampires are real in this world. I mean, why not? Shelley and Superboy are bonding over being different. And uh, now there's a mist that's calling on Shelley's apartment, and this mist is going to close in on Shelley. This is how the older vampire travels. He travels by mist, by mist power. And uh, while all this is going on, Superboy reveals that his powers do not protect him from the supernatural, so now there's that. So apparently what we're going to learn here is that Shelly is the older vampire's son, and I guess that makes him a half-human vampire. And of course, because he doesn't want to drink the blood of his fellow humans, he has a serum that alleviates the thirst and allows him to show up in mirrors and survive in the sun. He covered everything with, with one dose. He calls his vampirism a disease. Apparently there are no half-bloods and pure-bloods and uh, new-bloods. Apparently, he just kind of considers vampirism to be a blood disease, and I don't know why we need to have this long expositional scene. I mean, this was written by Carrie Bates. I don't know if long expositional scenes are uh, something Carrie Bates does a lot in the comics. I've read enough Carrie Bates to really know off the top of my head, but I think a lot of this stuff might be more interesting on the page than actually on TV. This just does not make for very good television right here, this long expositional scene. But eventually, out of the pipe comes uh, the vampire, and he tries to bite Shelly again. So the old vampire here wants to destroy Shelly's work. Apparently, he does not want there to be a cure to vampirism. And now, after all, after that short break, we have another long talky scene. Now between Superboy and the older vampire. And yeah, it's not holding my interest. He's trying mind control, and he wants Superboy to destroy Shelly's work. And Superboy's trying to fight his influence, but and he remembers uh, she Shelly's telling him about pain, to use pain. When so, he shoots the T-Vision at his hands. He, he was right, though. The vampire did get Superboy to use the T-Vision, just not on what he wanted. He wanted him to destroy Shelly's research. Superboy burned his hands instead, so that's how he defeated the bad guy. And then, literally, Superboy grabs the vampire and flies him into space. The vampire raves about how 
He is suited for the darkest night in space where there's no oxygen, so he shouldn't be able to say anything. Maybe Superboy doesn't hear him. I don't know. But I do believe Superboy answered him. So physics, people. No oxygen in space means no conversation. And eventually the sun peaks behind the Earth and dissipates the vampire. I mean, you get you have to imagine that dissipates the vampire faster than ordinary, ordinary uh, Earthbound sunlight would because there's nothing more direct than sunlight in space. It's not being reflected and refracted by the atmosphere. It is full-on sun, and this older vampire is burned alive. So now Byron is going to go back on Walkabout, kind of like David Banner did in every episode of the Incredible Hulk television series. And, you know, I want to say before I go that the flying effects look a lot better than the first season, even the uh, when it's clearly a rear projection. Everything looks far better than it did during the first season. Maybe Gerard Christopher is more of a natural. Maybe the effects are a little bit better. I don't know. But that episode overall wasn't bad either. Again, there's a lot of exposition in this episode, and I... Could have used less of that and a little more action, but beyond that, another uh, decent entry to the series. Next time, episodes 5 and 6 of Superboy, Nightmare Island, and Bizarro, the Thing of Steel. Until then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Spain Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.